Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Let's do a moment of review. I'm going to read our main scripture. This is our, uh, what is this, our fourth week in our series, Dare to Hope. Dare to Hope. And hopefully you've been getting blessed by this series. I know that I have tremendously. Uh, next week will be the, the final Dare to Hope message, and it will flow right into our wonderful announcement that we have. But I'm going to read our main verse that we've been using. And again, it comes out of Lamentations chapter 3, and I've made a joke every week about how Lamentations is the last place you would think to look for a scripture on hope, but we found one. Uh, let me read it to you. It's Lamentations three nineteen through 24, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and it says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh after each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Aren't you glad that the Lord is your inheritance so you can hope in him? Amen. Now, I want to take just a moment and review, as I said. Uh, last week, the title of the message was Framing the Future. Framing the Future. We had talked in previous weeks. Well, week one, we talked about being a purveyor of hope, or as Josh Honeycutt likes to say, a hope dealer. Amen. Don't you want to be a hope dealer? I'd rather be a hope dealer than a dope dealer, I tell you what. I got something good to share with people, amen? I got the hope of the, God, of, the, of the nations. The hope of humanity is living in me, and he's living in you. We got something to share. And then the second week, we talked about defeating despair, how hope is the thing that comes, and it defeats, and it annihilates despair in our lives. Then the third week, last week, we talked about framing the future, that, that hope and faith work together. Hope as a blueprint. Faith is a thing that constructs and builds that blueprint, and by those two things, we frame our future. Let me give you a couple points from last week. We said that hope is the anchor that holds your soul in a secure place. We read Hebrews chapter 6, where the Bible says that hope is the anchor of our soul. If you're going to frame the future, you're going to first need to secure the present. You see, hope has an amazing ability to do two things. It has the ability to, to forecast and to give you a hope for the future and also to stable you and steady you in the present. It's the anchor that, that anchors you to God. If you're going to frame the future, you first need to secure the present. We said that hope, we pointed out that hope is the anchor of the soul, that it doesn't say it's the anchor of the body or the spirit, it's the anchor of the soul. What part of you, when life gets crazy, is the part that needs to be anchored? Your mind, your thinking, your emotions, right? Oftentimes, it's our soul that needs to be reminded that it's impossible for God to lie. Amen. Yeah. 
that's the verse that comes right before, you know, hope is the anchor to our soul. It says that God, it, it, in, when, he, when he made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, and it's impossible for God to lie. When the going gets tough, your soul needs to be reminded that God can't lie. Amen? In fact, it's the first place that the enemy will come to try to manipulate your thinking and get you to forget that God is exactly who God said that he was. When you get into a tight jam, where's the first place that the enemy starts to talk to you and say things like, oh, God doesn't even exist. You're putting your faith in some mystical deity out there that doesn't care about you. You follow what I'm saying? Your mind is the part that needs to be reminded that God cannot lie. We said that hope and faith working together is the dynamic duo that frames our future. Faith makes our hope a reality. It builds what hope has already seen and expected. We said that hope is like the blueprint and faith is like the hammer and the nails. Amen. I remember I used a, a football analogy about hope being the, the blocker. I, I was talking with my friend Jonathan Arnett this week, and he, he gave me an even better way to say that, in my opinion. He said, man, I, th- I like to think of hope as the game plan. That faith, faith is like the running back that grabs the ball. The ball is like the promise, the promise of God. And, and my faith grabs a hold of that promise, and it runs with it. And hope is the blueprint. Hope, hope is the play. Oh, everybody's going to shift to the left. The offensive line's going to make a hole. This guy's going to go this way. The quarterback's going to do this. It's all spelled out in the play. That's our hope, guys. Amen? And then, of course, we cross the finish line and we obtain the promise. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, we ask the question, how do we frame our future effectively? If everything that we said about hope and faith working together was true, how do we take that and make it not just a principle that exists out there, but how do we grab a hold of that principle and make it effective in our lives? Number one, we get consistent, militarily, militantly consistent with the word of God and prayer. Number two, we get ravenously hungry for the presence of God. Number three, we become extra intentional with our words. And then number four, we take big risks with Jesus. Those are the four ways we said we frame our future effectively. Now today, the title of the message is Side Dishes. And I think I mentioned that to you last week as we closed, Side Dishes. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Let's talk about side dishes. We said if if hope is on the menu, if hope's the main dish, what comes with it on the plate? Right? If you think of if you think of this as uh, you know, McDonald's or your favorite fast food place, like Chick-fil-A, hallelujah. If when you go to Chick-fil-A, you order the main dish. You order the number, the combo that you want. I want a chicken sandwich. I want a this. I want a burger. I want a this or that. And, and you don't have to ask them, hey, could you please include some side dishes with that? No, the fries already come in the bag, right? You go to McDonald's, you tell them you want a number one. They're going to ask you, what do you want to drink? Because the drink comes with it. So there's some things that God wants to include in your life when he gives you hope. Okay, there's some things that God wants to serve that accompany the hope and the faith that he that we've been given. You follow me so far? It's, it's like a meat and three. 
The good Southern folks will understand a meat and three, right? You get your meatloaf and you pick three sides. There are, there are multitudes of things that come with faith and hope in the Lord Jesus. You know, Psalms 103 is a great example. David says, I bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. There are things that come with trusting in God. It's not that we trust God just for the things that he gives us. No, we trust him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So my love for God is based upon the fact that he loves me. So I'm just returning the love that he's already invested in me. That's the basis of my relationship. But if you only ever knew that, you actually miss out on all the stuff that comes with a a faith and hope relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? There's some side dishes that are coming on the plate. So if hope's on the menu, what are the side dishes? Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and it reads, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at that. Look at that. See it up on the screen there. May the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, you and I are supposed to abound in hope. Let's look at that for just a second before we talk about joy and peace. You're supposed to abound in hope. In other words, you're not supposed to have a little dab of hope. We're not supposed to be living with just a little touch of faith and just a little bit of hope, not just a a little sprinkling of the Spirit of God, just, just a little touch of joy. No, we're supposed to abound in these things. The Christian life should be a life that is buoyant with the attributes of the kingdom of God. You know the word buoyant, right? Buoyant, like, it, like, it's, like it's full, it's floating, it's not sinking, it's not, you ever see a beach ball that needs air? It just looks kind of sad, doesn't it? Just, meh. a lot of Christians, if they looked at, the, if they could see their spirit in a mirror, if they could see their soul in a mirror, a lot of us live like an underfilled beach ball, just sort of, just sort of atrophy, my, my faith just kind of atrophies, my, my hope just kind of atrophies. That's not the way God designed us to live, guys. He designed us to live buoyant, full, stretched. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that we would be stall-fed, fattened calves. (laughs) There's a difference between an animal that grew up on a farm and had plenty to eat and an animal that's lost in the wilderness and looks a little bit like their ribs are showing. You know what I'm saying? You and I are supposed to be buoyant. We're supposed to be full. We're supposed to be strong. That's God's will for his people, is that we be strong. And our buoyancy ought to be reflecting of the attributes of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be full of hope, full of faith, full of peace, full of life, full of strength, full of joy, full of character, full of integrity, full of love and compassion. Not supposed to come short in any good thing, the Bible says. So along with the hope that God desires for us to have, he's included some side dishes. Now, the first thing we want to look at from this verse is the phrase, in believing. You see how it says, filled with all joy and peace in believing. It's critical for us to keep in mind, 
as we look at joy and as we look at peace, critical for us to keep in mind that hope is a vital part of the believing process. It is essential to us believing in God. We took all of last week to to unpack that idea that faith and hope are linked together forever. We're not walking in faith effectively if if our hope is not engaged as well. So when it says here, in believing, recognize and remember, keep in mind that hope is part of the believing process. Okay? That's, That's what makes it the center of attention on the plate. Okay? Now, God really wants to add some things to us as we believe in him. He wants to accompany this hope with some other side dishes. The first one, the first side dish is joy. But not just any kind of joy. The Bible here says all joy. All joy. All joy. When I was um, growing up, we used to sing a song. There was a gentleman, and I think he's still alive. I don't know if he is or not. But his name was Clarence Yutzi. And he was, a, he was a farmer back in the day, and he was an older gentleman, and he used to play guitar, and he sang, at the, he would sing, do praise and worship on like Wednesday nights at the church that I grew up in. And he used to have this song, and, and boy, I tell you what, he, it seemed like every, every song that he sang was the same song, but just with different words. But it's just the same chords, and it was down, 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 It was just kind of a, you know, sort of country, old school country. And he used to have this song that would say, joy be, joy be, joy be in the Holy Ghost. And we'd just sing that for 10 minutes. <laughs> joy be, joy be, joy be in the Holy Ghost. Do you know that when you get into the presence of God, joy is supposed to show up? There's supposed to be some joy when you and the Holy Spirit get on the same page. We're going to look at some verses that talk about that here in just a second. But this, the way that it's spelled out here on the screen, you see that there, that we would be filled with all joy. That word all in the Greek means complete or whole, so that we can take it to mean, firstly, all kinds of joy, or joy in every situation. That you would be filled with all joy, so that no matter what the situation is, you would find joy in it, and that God would still be God even when you're in a challenging spot. Even when you're in a challenging moment, God is still who he said he is, and you can find joy in all kinds of circumstances. But more than that, it can also be taken to mean complete or filled with joy or gladness. Like this water bottle I'm holding up here. You could say, what's in that water? What's in that bottle? It's all water. There's nothing else in there. It's 100% water. When it says all joy... What are you filled with? It's all joy. If you were to look at the container of your life, is there a bunch of things in there? God says he wants you to be filled with all joy. 100% joy. If you took a sip of this, it's not going to taste like orange juice because there's all water in there. And likewise, Paul says that we would be filled with all joy. That's God's desire, that you be completely packed up with joy. Glory to God means, the the word joy here means gladness. I mean, again, buoyancy. I mean, I meet too many Christians that are down in the mouth, right? It's like that old horse joke, why the long face, you know? My dad would joke if he was here, he would joke about 
Christians come to church and they look like they've been soaking in vinegar all night long. Just sort of like pickled, you know, just bound up. But see, that's what the, <laughs> that's what the, that's what the cares of this world do to a person. You don't have to be a Christian or not a Christian to get loaded down with the care of this world. You see, you and I are supposed to live carefree. That's why Jesus said that childlike faith was important. Have you ever seen a child weighed down by burdens? God, I don't know how I'm going to make, it, make ends meet. I got the, you know, <laughs> me and the Barbies were together a couple days ago, and it's just not looking good for the end of the month, I'll tell you what. Ken just ain't coming through. I'm not, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's just the need new tires in the Barbie dream car and I got some shingles fell off of the dream house. I, I, kids don't get burdened. Why? They don't have cares. There's no pressure on them. There's no pressure on them because they live in environments where their world is taken care of. What if you and I got to the place where we lived in an environment where we were always aware, <laughs> daddy's got us, daddy's got us. I mean, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm not even worried about the end of the month because I know that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't even have to, I don't even have to entertain a fear-filled thought because God is just so good to me. What if you and I could live carefree? We absolutely can. Not only that, we ought to be. Because if we're going to be the light of the world, our light has to look different. If we're going to be the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden, you can't blend in in that scenario. You can't look like everybody else on your block. You gotta, something about you has got to be more buoyant. If they're a bunch of underfilled beach balls, your beach ball has got to be filled. Amen. So we're to be complete, completely filled with joy. Now, let's look at a couple of joy scriptures to kind of drive this point home to us. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, and it says, I'm just going to read these to you. You can write them down and go look them up later, okay? Nehemiah verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Yeah, sounds like the holidays. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, we quote that one all the time, don't we? The joy of the Lord is our what? Our strength. Why on earth would somebody need joy? Because God wants his people strong. It's not hard. Why on earth would we need joy? Because God wants his people to be strong. And there's going to come a day when you need it. There's going to come a day when you need some joy to make you strong because everything around you wants to feel weak. You're going to wake up in the morning one day and you're not going to feel like a million bucks. Anybody ever been there? You're going to get to work one morning and it's just not going to feel good. How many of you know... We're, we're people that, can, that we lead our feelings around. Our feelings don't lead us around. Amen? There's going to be a morning where you wake up and everything in you just doesn't want to do life that day. And you're going to need some strength. And in that moment, do you know what you need more than anything else? Joy. In that moment, the thing you need more than anything else is joy. 
Because it's going to be joy that that pumps you up. It's going to be joy that fills your beach ball again. It's going to be joy that comes in. And all of a sudden, you're going to discover some supernatural strength that you didn't see there five minutes ago. Glory to God. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11 says, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy. Because you defend them. Let those also whom you love, or excuse me, let those also who love your name be joyful in you. How many of you love the name of Jesus this morning? How many of you love the name of the Lord? We have a reason because of our love for the Lord and because our love for the name of God, because we choose to put our trust in him, we have a reason to now rejoice. And it's in the rejoicing that we find the strength of God gets infused into our life. I'm here to tell you there's never been a time in my life when I've had a problem that was weighing me down. When I didn't intentionally start to rejoice and the weight of that problem disappear. I'm telling you there hasn't been a single time in my life that I can think of when I didn't on purpose start to rejoice in the goodness of God when that thing just didn't get lifted right off of me. Guys, it happens every time. You're dealing with depression in your life. You're dealing with anxiety. Situations in life weighing you down. I'm telling you, get alone with God and rejoice. Whatever it looks like. Doesn't have to look good. Doesn't have to sound good. Doesn't have to be a perfect, you know, a worship song. Doesn't it, it can, I mean, bang some pots and pans together and shout if you have to. It just says it's supposed to be a joyful noise. That's what the Bible says. We make a joyful noise unto God. Doesn't have to be on pitch. Okay? Doesn't have to be in the right key. It just needs to be joyful. The Lord hears the melody of your heart long before he hears the melody of your mouth. Amen? And I've met some good old saints that couldn't carry a tune if it had three handles on it, and, it, and they're just out there cackling and rejoicing in before the Lord. And man, you know that sounds like an orchestra to our God. That sounds like a most joyous song to him. When you get into troublesome situations, get alone and praise Jesus. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. There's that idea of full again. Every time you see joy in the Bible, it's always too much. It's never just a sprinkle. You know what I'm saying? It's not just a dose. It's like a, you filled from bottom to top. John chapter 15, listen to the words of Jesus. This is him speaking to his disciples right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you sense a theme here? Fullness of joy? All joy, all joy? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Now this this opens up an idea for us to look at for just a second. If you find yourself lacking joy in your life, how do you get more? Good question, right? If you feel like you need some more joy, where does it come from? According to these words right here, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that, you, that my joy may remain in you. How do you get access to more joy? Go read the red letters in the Bible. 
go find the words that Jesus, I'm, I'm talking about not just reading the word. I mean, you can, you can find joy all over the Bible. Certain books, you may have to look for it a little bit, you know. Don't get into Second Chronicles and you're like, man, I, I thought I was supposed to find some joy in here, right? No, go look specifically at the words of Jesus. Find a go to one of the four gospels, flip it open and just find where Jesus is talking. Because he just said in John 15, my words I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And here's what happens. When you read the words of Jesus, you get the joy of Jesus. Because he said that my joy may remain in you. And then when my joy remains in you, your joy gets full. Isn't that cool? So you don't have to manufacture this stuff. You got the easy part. Aren't you glad that we got the easy part? All I got to do is get God's word on it. All I got to do is get G- what Jesus said about my situation, and I'll just start to get his joy in my life. And I won't even have to cook any up, man. He'll, he'll, he'll provide it. Isn't that awesome? That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now let's talk about this word peace. We got about 15 minutes or so left, and I want to talk a little bit about the word peace. If you'll put that Romans 15 back up there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The word peace here in the Greek is very interesting. It means security, safety, and prosperity. Security, safety, and prosperity. Security, safety, and prosperity. Paul says that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and with security, safety, and prosperity. In believing him. Do you know the safest place you can be is in the hand of God? The safest place you can be is in a relationship with Jesus. The most secure position you will ever find yourself in is in a relationship with Jesus. The most prosperous place you will ever find yourself in is in a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't get better than it could ever be than walking with God. It just doesn't get any better than walking with him. Amen? Security, safety, and prosperity. Let me show you a couple of verses here that use this language. Again, John 14, these are the words of Jesus. The next two verses I'm going to read you are the words of Jesus. He says, my peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't that interesting? We just read a verse where Jesus said he was giving us his joy. Now we get into this verse, same chapter, and he says he's given us his peace. This is starting to look pretty good. These side dishes are looking pretty good, y'all. I mean, I got hope and faith. I got the meatloaf on the plate, and now I got some joy mashed potatoes and, you know, some whatever else you like to go with meatloaf and mashed potatoes, I guess, green beans. Now I got peace. Green, the green beans of peace are over here helping me out. Amen. Guys, they're all food analogies. That's just who I am. But he said that he would give us his peace. Again, this is amazing. This is, this is not something you have to cook up. This is not something God expects you to drum up in your life. God's not sitting up in heaven looking at you going, gosh, I want, why don't they produce a little bit more peace in their life? He's actually offered you his peace, and the only thing he's looking at is to see whether or not you'll receive it and take it and start to live in it. Isn't that amazing? Guys, we get the easy part. We get his joy. We get his peace. 
We get his faith. We get his life. We get his grace. We get his hope. We get everything that we have is his. He gives it to us in abundance, freely. Oh, you need more joy in your life? Here, I got so much joy. Take some of mine. Oh, you need a little bit of mercy in your life? Here, I got my mercies. You know what they are? They're new every morning. Have some. Oh, you need a little bit more peace in your life? I've never had a bad day. Here, take some of mine. You need a little bit more, more faith? Let me, let me let you have some of the faith I used when I created the universe. It's amazing that we get to borrow all of God's stuff. We get it all. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Now, this is an important statement we're going to come back to in just a second. Not as the world gives. There's more than one kind of peace. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, look at John 16, verse 33. He says, just a, two chapters over, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In who? In him, in Jesus, right? You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You see, there's actually two kinds of peace in the New Testament. I want to do my best to break this down so that you understand it real clearly. took me a second to get this, but... It's pretty clear in the New Testament there are actually two kinds of peace. There's a word in the Greek language that describes peace that comes because of the absence of noise or chaos, tranquility, calm. That's one kind of peace. And then there's the peace that comes because of the presence of someone who's greater than the chaos. Two kinds of peace. Remember, the, remember what, what I defined the word peace as just a moment ago in this scripture? Security, safety, prosperity. That's the peace that God brings. That's the peace that God gives. When he said, when Jesus said he's given us our peace, he says he's given us our, his, uh, his security, his safety, and his prosperity in our lives. Now there's another word for peace in the Greek, which means the absence of chaos. The absence of chaos. And then there's this word, which isn't the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. You see, even the world can give you an absence of chaos. Even in the world, listen, you can walk outside when it's a nice calm day out and there's no noise and you can feel a great sense of peace because there's an absence of chaos. It's hard to feel peace in, you know, Times Square. Right? Because there's just always movement. There's always just something going on. It's hard to find peace in the world because the best that the world can do is just get quiet for a minute. And then when that happens, you feel peace. That's not the kind of peace that God wants to give you. It's not the absence of noise. It's the presence of him that when you get into the presence of him, safety, security, and blessing come with him. Why is that important? It's because when the world won't stop its chaos, you can still have his peace in the middle of his chaos. There's the peace that the world gives, which is just the absence of noise. The problem with the world is it doesn't usually shut up very long. If you've been watching this election cycle, you can verify that. 
There's so much chatter, there's so much noise, there's so much turmoil in the world that God said, even when you get into those noisy, rowdy situations, if you'll take my peace with you, you'll have calm in the midst of chaos. You want to know the best example of this? Jesus and the disciples in Mark 4 in the boat. The Bible says they're going along, and you know the story. Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping in the back of the boat, man. And the wind and the waves are going. How many of you have been on a boat when it's like choppy? You've been on a boat? I grew up in Florida, man. I've been on a boat when the, when the waves are choppy. It's much nicer to be on a boat when it's calm. So Jesus is in this choppy boat. In other words, he's in the midst of some chaos. But the reason he can sleep is because he's got safety, security, and, and prosperity working in him. He's got the presence. Of, well, he is, he is God, and he's got the presence of Almighty God around him and in him all the time. It allowed him to sleep when the rest of the world was in chaos. Yeah. You see, there's, there's two kinds of peace. There's the peace which the world can give, which doesn't hold a candle to the peace that God can give. That's why Philippians calls peace the peace that passes, you finish, all understanding. What is that? That's peace that's working in you when there should be no, no evidence for peace. The world's burning, around, burning down around you. And you're just like, I'm good. There's people are around you losing their marbles, man, just coming apart at the seams. And you're like, me and Jesus are having the time of our life. I don't know what's bugging y'all. That's the peace that passes all understanding. There's no understandable way why you should have peace in this situation, yet somehow you do. It's because Jesus said, I'm giving you my peace. I'm not giving you the peace that the world gives. The world's definition of peace is everything's quiet. God's definition of peace is that no matter if it's loud or quiet, you're at peace. You're not striving. You're not working too hard. You're not struggling to try to just make ends meet. You're not clawing your way to just try to get towards some semblance of normal. You've got the peace of God that's working on the inside of you, and everything's good, even when everything is not good. Isn't that amazing? And Paul tells us in Romans that this is the kind of peace which God desires to give to us. The God of hope, the same God who when we believe him and when we trust in him, we find our faith and our hope working right on the same plate as that hope is some peace and some joy. So that your life, when people bump into you, when people see you, when people look at your family and they look at the way you conduct yourself, they, they see some uncommon traits I believe with all my heart, guys, that we are called to be uncommonly different in this world. We are, we are called to be uncommon. It's one of the reasons that I get frustrated when I see Christians live like people who aren't Christians. It's not, it's not because I'm interested in judging their lifestyle. I don't care about that. It's just that our life should look different because the reason is if our life doesn't look different, we're not good to the world. 
We're not good to show Jesus who the world is if our life looks just like the world. It's not about browbeating. It's not about me taking the Bible and cramming it down your throat and you know, trying to get you to perfectly do the Ten Commandments every morning. That's not what I'm interested in. Our life should have a buoyancy that the world doesn't have because we have an answer that the world doesn't have. And if I'm ever going to turn their eyes towards the answer, my life has to look like the answer. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and try not to be noticed. Amen. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel's the good news. Well, when there's bad news all around us, we ought to be living the good news. Our life ought to look different. We ought to have some peace that our friends don't have. Not because we're better than them. Not Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's not a comparison game. It's not about who can live more holy than the next guy because we're trying to compete so that Jesus can give us brownie points in heaven. It's not what it's about. I'm not trying to be more perfect than you. Or vice versa. I just want my life to be so radically different than my next door neighbors who doesn't know Jesus. So that they will come to me and say, why are you so different? What is working in your, something is working for you. And it just doesn't, no matter what I do, it doesn't seem to work for me. What is working in your life? Because then you get a chance to give all glory to Jesus then you get a chance to give him all the credit. And when it works, you give him all the credit. And when something doesn't work, he gets none of the blame. Amen. He gets all the credit and all the glory. Why are your your finances blessed? Well, let me tell you about the covenant that I have with God. How come you guys never get sick? Well, let me tell you about the covenant that I have with God. Oh, all this crazy stuff happened, but somehow your house was not affected by it. Y'all ever, y'all ever read those or see those news stories or something where like a hurricane blow or a tornado blows through some town, you know, in Kansas and there's like 36 houses get destroyed and there's one right in the middle that just doesn't get destroyed and turns out their prayers like, well, why? Because I have a covenant with God. Let me tell you, why does my life look different? Why do I have joy? Why do I have peace? Oh, man, you just got fired from your job. How could you possibly be so happy? Greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. My God said he'd supply supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Oh, man, you're you're not afraid to go outside even though there's COVID? No, I'm sure not. Not afraid. And I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty. It's just that I understand I've got a covenant with God, and my life is supposed to look different. You're supposed to have a heaping portion of hope on your plate. And with it, you're supposed to have a heaping side of mashed potatoes and gravy. Can you say amen? And you're supposed to have a heaping side of green beans and corn and and cabbage and whatever else you like. There's supposed to be some joy. There's supposed to be some peace. Watch the way he winds this up in verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Our lives in Christ are supposed to be so complete that they radiate the goodness of God. (laughs) <laughs> I lo- don't you love how Paul lands the plane right there? Isn't that incredible? 
Isn't that incredible? He says, your, your life, your, your, your plate, okay, we're at the heavenly buffet, and hope is, the, is hope is the main dish. Our plate's supposed to be so filled with hope. It's supposed to be so filled with joy. It's supposed to be so filled with peace that when people see us, what do they see? Maybe they don't see hope. Maybe they don't see joy. Maybe they don't see peace. Maybe they don't have the ability to discern the things that are working in our life. But what they look at us when they see is just the goodness of God. Look at that verse 14 again. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. You're all so full of goodness. What does joy and peace and and hope and faith look like to the unbeliever in, in your life? It looks like the goodness of God. See, I don't know why, I don't know what it is about that Christian that they just seem to have it all together. I don't know what it is that makes it work for them, but I know this, life is good for that guy. Life is good for that lady. Life is good for that family. I see the goodness of God in people. When my, when my mother was saved, back in the 70s, my parents, they were saved in the Jesus movement. <clears throat> by the way, I believe, we're on the, I believe we're on the shores of another Jesus movement, by the way. Hallelujah. I believe we're right on the brink of it. They were saved in the late 70s in the Jesus movement, and my mom went to a party, not like a crazy college house party. This was back when people used to sell things like Tupperware. Y'all remember, how many of you ever been to like a pampered chef party or one of those, a Tupperware party? My, my mom, her and her boyfriend were, uh, who was not my dad, thank God that that didn't shape up. Glory to God. Her and her then boyfriend went to this lifetime cookware party. They ended up buying some of the cookware, which I think my mom still has. The cookware outlasted the relationship. Now that I just thought of that, that's, that's pretty cool. But she went to this cookware party, and it just so happened that everybody at the party, except for her and her boyfriend, were saved. And she, she'll, if you ever get the chance to hear her testimony, maybe next time she's here, I'll have her tell her testimony. She went home that night so enthralled with the people that she was around. And she went home and she was raised a good Catholic. You know, my grandparents were, on both sides of my family, were good old Roman Catholics. And she went and found her family's Bible. And it was in English and Italian. And she opened that Bible and somehow she found her way to the book of John. And the thing that she said to the Lord was, Lord, if you're real, I want you because whatever those people had at that party is what I want. I'm not experiencing life the way they are. My balloon, or excuse me, my beach ball is a little bit empty. I'm not experiencing life the way they are. She, you see, what she saw at that moment, she couldn't put her finger on it. She couldn't have said that I love the peace and the hope and the joy and the life that they have. All she saw was just the goodness of God. She just could look at what the Lord was doing in all those people, and she just stood back and said, man, that is so good. She may not have been able to articulate in that moment all the details, but like verse 14 says there, she was was seeing the goodness of God. 
And do you know that Romans chapter 5 says this? It says that it is the goodness of God that draws a heart to repentance. It will be so easy for you to get people saved if people can see faith, peace, hope, and joy working in your life. Your life and my life is supposed to be so attractive to the world. And see, in the church, sometimes we miss it. How many of you know that church people, God bless them, sometimes we screw up. Sometimes we miss it, amen? We don't need to make a big deal over the misses. We need to celebrate the wins, amen? But sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we think our job is to convince everybody they're going to hell in a handbasket and just hit them as many times over the head with the Bible as we possibly can and say, Jesus loves you, man. You better get saved and wallop them and thump them and beat, you know, cram our Bible down their throat. That's not what draws a heart to repentance. It's actually when your life and my life are so full of hope, so full of joy, and so full of peace that it just radiates the goodness of God. That is like a magnet to the unredeemed soul because they look at it and they see what their heart really, really wants. We say we want all these things, but what we really, really want is the goodness of God. Oh, if I could just get the goodness of God in my life. Oh, it's just, life is just so doggone hard. I just want some goodness. I just, I just want life to be good. That's what people really hunger for. And it's when our lives radiate Jesus that they see something good. And they're drawn to it. We don't have to convince them. We don't have to browbeat them. We just let them see our lives be different. I'm reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said two things. It's difficult to invite a person to smell a rose after you've cut their nose off. And then you know the old saying, you catch more flies with sugar, with honey, than with vinegar. Our lives ought to radiate and reflect the goodness of God so that when people get around us, there's an invitation to them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.